0: Welcome to the Learning to Thrive Podcast, where we have real conversations with real people about real life. And now, here's your host and my friend, David Higginbotham.
1: Welcome to the Learning to Thrive Podcast. I'm David Higginbotham, your host, and I'm with Tom Kalinov, uh, our producer and good friend. Tom, how are you? Hey, doing great, man. And Gray, this bonus episode is focused on the first of what we're calling six key elements for thriving in life. Each element is going to have its own bonus episode, and this is the first one of those. And today, what's our what's our topic today, Tom?
0: Yeah, it's living loved, learning to live as a person who is completely and fully loved by God. Absolutely. Uh, the, The question you have to ask yourself, or I want you to ask
1: yourself, and that I've asked myself and do on a fairly regular basis is, what would my life be like tomorrow if I woke up and put my feet on the floor and the first thought that rose up in my heart was, Today, I'm completely and fully loved by God. I'm completely, fully loved and accepted by God today, right now, before I do think or be, go act in any way. My day begins with that realization that I'm completely, fully and loved by God. Tom, that, you think that would make a difference in our lives? Huge
0: Huge difference.
1: It really does. It, it's been making a difference in my life for quite a while, and uh, it's something that's been stirred up in me. It's one of those six key elements that I I've, 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 I believe over the years have gotten clarified in my own mind that help us to be able to thrive or flourish in life, in our life in Christ. Because see, it it doesn't just happen accidentally. It doesn't Definitely. just it, it doesn't just happen. It, it comes about because of a purposeful, focused engagement with God. So let's talk about that for a few minutes, Tom.
0: Absolutely, and you know, a couple of the things. There's there's a bunch of bullet points in here, but w- one of the ones that really jumped out at me because it, it, <laughs> maybe it's all of the church, but the Western church seems to have this obsession with sin. Yeah, and you have in here, and I haven't really seen this delineated. What about when I sin, what happens then? And you have two points. What happens in heaven? What happens on earth? Well, I I
1: think those are all good questions. I mean, there is a huge focus on sin in the American church. I'm not, let me just clarify up front because I know somebody's going to say, well, you're saying, no, I'm not saying sin is a good thing. Tom. I mean, absolutely. uh, And nothing that I say going forward here in the next few minutes is is meant to imply that I think sin is a good thing. But I think it's a good question to ask. What happens when I sin? Well, I grew up believing that when I sin, God turned away from me on his throne, so to speak. It was like a swivel throne, like an office chair. You know, you can spin it to the left or you can spin it to the right. That he would, I had this sense that God would turn away from me when I sinned and that his back was turned toward me because he was, he was upset with me or he was disgusted with me or he was disappointed in me. And those are the kinds of images that I grew up with. Now, I'm not blaming anybody for those images. I'm just telling you what was there. So a good question is, what happens when I sin? Well, I'm confident to tell you, uh, and again, I'll get fewer Christmas cards this year than last year, (laughs) I'm confident to tell you that what happens when you sin in heaven, what happens in heaven when you sin? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing happens in heaven when you sin. we, We have this idea that... the. Heaven shakes when we, we sin, do something wrong, that that God is stomping around in heaven looking for a lightning bolt to throw, <clears throat> that there's turmoil within the kingdom of God because I failed in some way. Uh, how incredibly egotistical is that? Heaven does not shake or rumble and roll when I sin. It just doesn't because yep. God has already resolved in his own heart and mind the issue of sin between mankind and himself. And that was accomplished in the work that Jesus finished that first resurrection weekend. So when I sin, uh, God isn't stomping around angry. He isn't disappointed in me. He isn't depressed. I mean, none of that happens. There's no evidence anywhere in the scripture that that's what's going on. So, what happens on Earth? Well, all kinds of stuff happens on Earth when we when I sin. You know, I may have, I may have offended someone. I may have uh, stolen something. I may have told a lie. I may have cheated on a contract, or I may have been angry and abusive at someone. I may have uh, hurt my wife's feelings or been mean to my children. Any number of those. I mean, there's a lot of those things. I may have lusted after uh, an, another person who is not my wife. I, there, all of these things, and we're all very familiar with our own. And so what happens on earth? Well, it just depends. But oftentimes there are going to be consequences in my life that come about because of the sin that I've engaged with. Well, I thought God has forgiven us. Well, he has. The scripture tells us he's, he's, he's not even remembering those things anymore. And he's not holding sin against mankind since the cross. The offer of forgiveness has been the key, a key element of the gospel from the very beginning. People just have to receive the free gift of God and his grace. But on a human level,
0: hmm. it ain't necessarily so. Right. You know, there, there's, there's going to be consequences. Uh, you, you murder someone, yeah. God has forgiven you. God loves you, but there's consequences. You're, you're going to,
1: go, you're, you're going to jail and yep. and, and you may. You may face a death penalty. Yep. Okay. You get drunk and drive your car. Okay. I, you know, you, it's not a good thing. Right. You know, don't do it. But there, there are very possibly going to be consequences. We, we do not. There is not a one-to-one co- correlation between sin and consequences. It doesn't just happen that way. But there are consequences that can come and often do come. And I think.
0: The, they they we have consequences within our own soul, right? It, Something when you said consequences, sin and the consequences that come from that. What about living loved and the consequences that come from that? David, you're a father, you're a grandfather. I I, I mean, it's going to be a tough question. So I'll, I'll I'll give you a couple minutes to to reflect and answer. Are your kids, your grandkids, going to act? Better are they going to be more receptive if you are loving and approving of them, or if you're harsh and, and your love is conditional?
1: Tough well, question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me let me reflect back to you that that that's the way I grew up believing God was right. I, I grew up believing that God was right on the line of being chapped. And it wouldn't take much, you know, just the least little thing could set him over the edge. And that was my understanding of God. And and as I later on, many, far too many, far too many years later, began to understand the grace and the mercy and the love and the peace of God and became, came to understand that the nature of God is love. It's not just something that he does. It's what he is. It's who he is. So to answer your question, my grandchildren are going to respond in – in love to me because of the love that I pour out for them. They're going to respond in kindness to me because I pour out kindness for them. And that is that reciprocal uh, principle that we, for the, you know, that isn't, it's not, it's not universally true, but for the most part when we treat other people with love and graciousness and kindness, we get that in return as best they're able. But yeah, it's knowing that I've been fully loved completely and fully loved by God not just understanding that in a theological sense. This is not a theological statement, guys. This is a statement of reality. And knowing that I'm completely and fully loved by God, to use a term that's commonly expressed now, is a game changer. It changes the way I view life. It changes the way I view me. It it begins to change me on the inside, because as I am able to receive His love As I am able to come to grips with the reality of his love and his acceptance of me, that changes me in here. Mm. And, Tom, I'm better able to love and accept you with your flaws. I'm sure you have some someplace. Absolutely. Uh, One or two here or there because I'm coming to understand that God has loved me beyond, not in spite of my brokenness and in spite of my sin, in spite of my limitations, but beyond them. He's, he, he's not saying, okay, I'm just going to put up with you for a while. No, He has lo- he covers me with his love. He doesn't love up to the line and say, well, as long as you don't step over that line, and as long as you don't disobey me again in this area, I will love you. See, Paul says that in Romans 8, while we were sinners, hmm. while we were sinners, in Romans 5, he says that, that while we were enemies, we were reconciled. He made peace with us and peace with us he, while we were enemies. He, he, we were reconciled. Now, and then he goes, then he says this great phrase, how much more? Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Mm. Paul says, if that's the way God treats his enemies, how much more are we going to receive now that we're his children, now that we're reconciled? And there's this truth. You see, I was talking with a guy yesterday, and and he's struggling with some areas in his life, and he was recounting some things in his life, in his past, that, 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 he has, that, that he's, that he's done is some bad stuff and some terrible things. And he knows it and he's not thinking it's not a big deal, but these things keep coming up. And I was talking with him and I said, oh, you're, the problem is you're confusing the facts with the truth. (laughs) You and I've talked about this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The facts are, I did this and this and this and this and that I did that. Yep. like like when the years ago in in the in basketball when a when a foul was called on a player they had to raise their hand, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. as it say yeah okay it was on me. We have to raise our hand and say yes I did that I treated these people badly I stole that car I cheated on the exam I lied about this I blah 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 whatever it was all of those are facts. And this guy was rehearsing in his mind, I believe the enemy was bringing these things to his mind and, and assaulting him. And he would get sidetracked and believing, Oh my goodness, yes, I did that. I'm so, I know God forgave me, but I just feel so bad about it. And I said, look, I called his name and I said, you're, you're confusing the facts with the truth. Here's the truth. While you were an enemy against God, he took care of all those things that the first Easter weekend that Jesus went to the cross, died, buried, rose again. Paul tells us in second Corinthians five, that in that context, God was reconciling to himself, the world Hmm. no longer counting people's trespasses or their sins against them. And here's the reality, Tom, when I sin, I shouldn't and i you know and I'm saying it's not serious, but it is not something that breaks my relationship with God, right it is not something that severs my relationship with God. I feel say well you know you're you're still saved, but your fellowship with god it it destroys your fellowship with God well, i you know I'm going to call bogus on that right because God does not have a swivel throne. He he you can't catch him by surprise. Nothing that I have done this week that was not pleasing to God and there's always that thing, it's those things. God doesn't turn away from us. He's already he's already provided the the blood of Jesus to cover those things. They've already been dealt with and he invites us to hey come away from that well i had a guy ask me one time well well why why does the scripture tell us not to sin and i said because it kills us mm-hmm. tom you know and i know cuz we're we're guys of a certain age we're a certain generation and we've been around the block a few times and you and i know the consequences of sin in our heart yep you know we know the consequences of the, the, the spiritual impact that that has in me, the guilt that I have got to respond to, the, the shame that I might need, all of those things come against us. We're, it's like we give a ball bat to the enemy and say, hey, hit me with this one. Yep. Well, yeah. Yep. And, and so w- the thing that happens when we sin, heaven is not destroyed. Heaven is not shaken. Heaven is not surprised. God is not disappointed in you when you sin. To be disappointed, disappointment is an emotional response to an unexpected event. Right? I thought the Chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl. I was hoping they were going to win the Super Bowl. I I knew they were going to win the Super Bowl this year, and they didn't, and I was disappointed. God's not disappointed when I sin. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows it so well. He's provided for every eventuality. There's no sin that I can commit that isn't covered by the blood of Jesus. Because if there is, we've got real problems. The writer of Hebrews says there is no other sacrifice.
0: Right. Right. You know, you got a couple lines in here. (laughs) There's so much in here, but there's no Part of you that God does not love, and there's no part of God that does not love you. Let's say that again there is no part of you that God does not love. There's no part of God that doesn't love you. Unpack those a little bit. That's, I mean, that's rich.
1: Well, I, I grew up thinking Jesus was pretty cool, but I wasn't real sure about God <laughs> the Father, you know. <laughs> I, I, that's all I got to tell you you know i and and when I came to faith in the early seventies uh sort of on the tail end of the Jesus movement everybody loved Jesus, but nobody wanted to talk about the father, you know because mm-hmm. it was it was too you know hmm, I'm not really sure I grew up thinking that jesus was you know jesus was i' never had a problem with jesus very much Holy Spirit was kind of kind of weird. <laughs> Well, at least in terms of what I saw attributed to the Holy Spirit. It was, right, kind of, right. oh, well, well, that's strange. What is that? But the, 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 we, we think there, we act as if there are three gods.
0: Right. And the, the not to get off on a tangent, but the, the funny thing you have said, and I've heard elsewhere, is the three gods that a lot of people think of are Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. Yeah. Father, <laughs> Son, and Holy Spirit. But anyway. Yes. I yeah. digress.
1: Well, there, there is. If if you are loved by God, you are loved by, you are loved by the Father. You're loved by the Son. You're loved by the Holy Spirit. Yes. You know, uh, you, you there, there, there isn't a dichotomy there, right? Now, we, we, our understandings, see, okay, I posted this, I think, on Facebook yesterday, maybe today, you know, the, the God boxes that we build for God, it's, it's really not that much of something like this. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. God doesn't live on them anyway. They are more for our benefit than his. We we have this little God box thing that we think we have God living in. And that's part of the thinking that goes there, that, you know, uh, Jesus loves me, but the Father, he just sort of puts up with me. So there isn't any part of God that doesn't love you completely and fully. Mm. And uh, keep in mind, when Paul said, when when Jesus was on the cross paying the penalty for your sin, God was in Christ, yeah, right. reconciling the world to himself. So none of us understand the Godhead. So let's not pretend that we do. We have some frameworks that we try to work around, but none of us understand it. There's no part of me that God doesn't love. Uh, You you know, it's, it's not like well, I've got this great singing voice, and I've got this really good personality, and God loves all of that, but I'm addicted to pornography, and he doesn't love me. He doesn't love my addictions and and we, we tend to think in a in a, in a we, there's this dichotomy going on that somehow my activities are me, and there is a distinction. I'm convinced of this. there's a difference between my identity and my activity. Right, and God has God said to people who were broken and flawed, "You are loved. You are my saints." Okay, if if we're going to believe that the 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 scriptures are inspired by God, every time Paul wrote a letter to somebody, he was writing to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints
0: mm-hmm.
1: at Corinth, and they were a mess. To to the saints at Galatia, and they were getting off chasing wild. Rabbits through the woods. Yep. The saints. Well, how were they saints if they had all those problems? Because the problems that they had were a byproduct of their humanity and their poor thinking and their unrenewed mind. Their identity is, 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 a, is defined by the love and the grace and the mercy and the peace of God. God has loved you, Tom. He has given you his life. He calls you holy. Holy which means set apart, and in the context but specifically, set apart unto God. You belong to God, so you're holy. The table in the tabernacle that held the lamp, it was holy. The lamp was holy. Why? Because it belonged to God. Mm-hmm. The structure that held up the, the, the tent was holy. The, the the altar, was. it was all holy. It couldn't sin. It was about identity, and one of the things that I really want people to hear is that when we're talking about who we are as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we have to connect with the core identity, and that is loved ones. We are loved by God, cherished by Him. Part of the challenge we face is that most people in the American church are familiar with verses but not with the Bible. Yeah. You know, if you re, re, sit down sometime and read the book of Galatians, it's only five, just a few chapters, it shouldn't take you more than 30 or 40 minutes, some Sunday afternoon. That's a good time. Sunday, you know, sit and read the book of, read the, read the whole letter and get the big picture of what was being said. We, we do verse shopping we've shopped for verses right. that back up our theology. And uh, that's a waste of time.
0: I was going through a book recently, and I don't know who he was quoting, but something you said just reminded me of this quote, and he said, we're very familiar with a God we do not know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I know, David, you wanted to keep this brief. You started by talking about imagine what your life could be like if you started every day with the understanding, I am completely loved, accepted, and forgiven by God right now. Now, I know this comes by revelation. I know this comes by revelation. So what would you say to someone that, that, uh, to, to help them to begin to accept this truth? Mm-hmm. Again, it comes by revelation, but what would you say? Because a lot of people don't know this. A, a lot of people have no clue about this. A lot of people have this performance Christianity as a big part of what they do and, and the way they live and the way they believe. Well, I, I wish I could just do the old Bob
1: Newhart sketch, you know, remember that stop it. It <laughs> just, was just, just, our brains and our minds and our experiences have been trained to think in a certain direction in a certain way toward God and about us and him. It's going to require some undoing of that. I think the best way to undo that is with a, with an engagement with the scriptures and in conversations like you and I are having. Yeah. Conversations with people, listening to some things that you don't necessarily agree with. Go to the scriptures and see if those things are correct. And then ask God, have I really understood you as well as I need to? I can tell you this, none of us have, right? And if we can begin with the possibility, Tom, that I may not know things as well as I need to. I may not understand God as well as I need to. I I probably don't. Start with that. I probably don't. I I can tell you without a doubt, I clearly don't understand God as well as I need to. (laughs) We've got to realize that we're on a journey of discovery with him. Yes. A journey of discovering who he is and who he is in our lives and who I am because of who he is and how the scripture plays a role in that. I would encourage you to start with John three sixteen, And first of all, ask yourself the question, am I part of the world? Because if you're part of the world, John three sixteen applies to you. Yep. Le- learning to live loved is one of the key elements to learning how to thrive in life. Because if I'm living my life like I'm always trying to measure up, I'm not going to be thriving. Right. And I think that's a good place probably to wrap it up, buddy. What do you, Does that sound good Sounds to you? Sounds
0: good. Any final thoughts on your part? No. And uh, the, the next bonus episode, whenever we put that out, it's going to be about loving others, learning to love others in the same way I'm being loved by God. That's that, going to be rich. That's a game changer too,
1: man. I tell you, buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> friends thanks for taking some time to listen to us and to uh, to consider some of the things we have to say godspeed to you until next time
0: bye-bye thank you for choosing the learning to thrive podcast we hope you have been encouraged please check the show notes where you can learn more about today's episode give us a rating tell your friends and join us again next week together we are learning to thrive